If you have your Bibles and you would, find two places with me, 2 Samuel and Joshua. And as always, I usually love shaking your hands and being around you, but I have a touch of something. And so I have tried to stay away and hide in my office today. Uh, hopefully it's just the fact that I encouraged and yelled too much at ball games this week. Uh, hopefully not at the officials, but didn't want to be in the lobby and say it's nothing. And then about three days later, like most people do, it is something. So uh, we're glad that you're here today and hopefully someone made you feel welcome. Uh, today we're going to talk about when God seems silent. I think all of us at some point in our life have felt that way, whether through our own struggles with guilt, uh, our failures, maybe we haven't seen things unfold the way that we thought they would. Maybe as we've prayed, we didn't feel like they were um, answered the way we thought they should. And so uh, sometimes it's easy to think, where is God in all of this? And when we come to the 21st chapter of 2 Samuel, uh, I think it is important to recognize that reason we're in chapter 21 is because it comes after chapter 20. And if you are going to be committed to the belief that God's word is true and perfect in every area, in every verse, then you have to hit them all. You cannot skip the ones you like, the ones that are easy, but you have to dig in and say all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture accomplishes God's purpose. And what is going on in chapter 21, and we'll finish the last few verses of 20, is a great drought has hit the nation of Israel. And they're asking themselves this question, why? Why are we going through a drought? And for three years, they get no answer. But eventually, God answers them and tells them that you have made a bad decision. I am punishing you for something that has happened. Now, what happens is the TV preachers and the charlatans will get on there every time something bad happens and says, this happened because, or God let this happen because, or maybe you've went through a trial and someone has said that to you. I want you to know that God allows things to go on in our lives, sometimes as a result of our sin, sometimes as a result of trying to grow us in our faith. But Christian, you should be extremely careful, and I would caution you probably to never say it hardly, that God has punished someone for something, that something is going on in someone's life because of. Could it be? Absolutely but it's best for them and the Lord to hear it. And so in Joshua chapter 9, if you'd flip over there with me, because if you're going to know what's going on in this one, you have to know what happened. So in Joshua, the nation of Israel has left Egypt. They have entered the promised land, and God tells them it is butt-kicking time. All right? Uh, there are a group of wicked people that are in the land. They hate God. They hate the things of God. They're idolaters. They're, they're just wicked. And God says, this land is yours. You need to go in, fight for it, and take it. You've heard the biblical stories of the book of Jericho, what happened at the city of Jericho. Uh, very familiar. Um, but what has happened is Israel has beat Jericho an ally. And they have heard that the nation of Israel has been promised this land. And a group of people, and if your Bible has a map like mine does, it's the next little city, Gibeon, past Jericho. And so what they realize is, oh no, 
this gigantic army, these great people of God, even though they were slaves, apparently they knew what they were doing. The God that is fighting for them is going to win. What do we do? And so in chapter 9 of the book of Joshua, we're not going to read it all for the sake of time, they devised a plan that they would put on ratty clothes, they would get molded bread, and they showed up to the city of Gilgal where they were camped and said, we are from a faraway land. We are weary travelers. We, we need to make a covenant with you and be blessed by you. And the people of God are like, wait a second. Maybe you're our neighbors trying to trick us. And their response, as you can read it, is no, we have traveled from a far land. We're not trying to trick you. And the two verses I want you to read with me this morning in Joshua 9, verse 14 and 15. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but what? They did not ask the counsel of the Lord. And so in verse 15 it says, So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Now this is a big deal because the Bible says that when you make a covenant, when you take a vow, that in God's eyes it should not be broken. And when it is broken, there will be great consequences. And as you can imagine, if you read along in that story at some point, as soon as the leaders make this covenant, they're like, surprise! We're your neighbors. And they have been tricked into sparing this enemy city. And what happens is they have to honor this agreement with a group of people that God says you shouldn't have. For you today, I want you to say this. When you make a vow, sometimes it doesn't work out on the other end the way you think it should. But God wants you to honor it on yours. That's why the Bible tells us that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. And so what happens is you flip now all the way with me to 2 Samuel chapter 22 and something has happened. God tells them that the reason they are going through a drought is because Saul when he was king, tried to eradicate this group of people. God didn't tell him to eradicate them, but because of his own pride and selfishness or zeal that was misguided, decided, I'm not going to destroy the people God told me to, but I'm going to destroy, destroy this group of people who we promised to protect. And so, I want to show you this because many times in your life and in mine, we have got to start being willing to look ourselves in the mirror. We have got to be willing to get along with God and say, God, is what is going on in my life my fault? God, are the problems in my marriage, am I to blame? The difficulties at church, am I the reason? We live in a culture that refuses to allow any kind of self-evaluation. Any kind of, yes, it's my fault. Yes, it could be me. Our first response as people and as a society, and can we be honest, churches is to blame someone else.
But in this passage of Scripture, and it's a hard one, I'm going to be honest with you, there's some stuff in here that I would skip over. This morning when I was sick and wasn't going to come to church about 6 o'clock, I thought, you know what, I'll just call Brian, let him do it, and I'll just skip over, right? I will throw him under the bus and back it up repeatedly. But that is how strongly I believe about this, that I believe most of the problems in your marriage and in mine, with my children and with yours, what we face as a church and as a nation is because we are just not willing to say, Lord, here I am. Deal with me. And so if you would pray with me, and we're going to jump right in to this text. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, you know how uncomfortable it is, how difficult it can be. But Lord, thank you for showing us the good and the bad. Lord, thank you for showing us our brokenness, our sin, our shame, so that we can see how merciful and gracious you are. And so today, Lord, I pray that this would be an encouragement to your people. Lord, a way for us to focus in on you. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, I hope that you'll write this down. Earthly solutions don't fix spiritual problems. It's no accident that as we finish chapter 20, God gives us a list of the government officials, the people who are supposed to be able to fix problems. The people who are supposed to have the answers and the resources, but yet we start in chapter 21 with a problem that they cannot fix. Now you need to know that chapter 21 is not chronologically in order. This drought would have happened sometime, but we don't know exactly when. Alright, so let's just jump into verses 23 of chapter 20. And Joab was over all the army of Israel. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherites and the Pelotites. Adoram was in charge of revenue. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Shiva was scribe. Zadok and Abathar were the priest. And Ira, the Jareth, was the chief minister under David. Now there was a famine, in verse 1, in the days of David for three years. Year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered it and said, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. And so, I want you to see this. David had asked and asked and asked, and God finally says, This is the issue. Now, I think it is important because when you look at that list in verse 20, If you were in a drought and had a military that had been successful, David had been winning, David had been uh, successful, you could have just conquered your enemies. Take what they have. If you look in here, it says Adoram was in charge of revenue. That doesn't mean he was a tax collector. What it meant was he was in charge of the labor force. Slave and free. He was in charge. He could have upped productivity. He could have done something else. And you can go on through this list of people. And let's be honest today. Most of us, if we're honest, are looking for someone else to solve our problems. Whether it's the government, whether it's our employer, whether it's our neighbor, everybody else can fix what I've got. We're literally watching it unfold. And what we see here is all of these people who had power and prestige and influence, none of that mattered. All we see is that God said something has happened that has broken a vow 
that has broken a covenant, that has put God's people and their integrity at risk. If you want to know why the world looks at the church and laughs at us, it's not because of our music, it's not because of our dress, it's not because of our service times. It is because a lack of integrity. We are not people who know what we believe and claim what we believe and live what we believe. That is why if you continually follow the news, you're always seeing a pastor, a, a youth leader, a deacon that's, that's running away with someone else's wife or we've just went through a terrible abuse scandal in the church today. But what God tells us is that should not be the case. We should be people who practice what we preach, live out our faith, and when we stumble, to have the integrity and the honesty to say, I have fallen short. I have sinned. I need God's forgiveness and yours. Jesus shows us this in how He dealt with sin. Today, if someone says that is sinful, you will be mocked. Because sin is not a real thing anymore. Did you not know that? You were born with a confused mind. You were born with confused lust. You have a struggle in you. But yet the Bible says when we disobey God's Word, it is one thing. It is sin. It is rebellion against God. I might not agree with everything that God calls sin because I enjoy some of it for a season. But what God's Word says is sin leads to death. And that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so while the pride of Jacob Gray might say, well, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm wrong every time. And if you're here today and you're saying, well, you know, I know that's what it says, but guess what? You're wrong. And what we see is that Jesus proves that in the fact that He didn't give us any earthly remedy for sin. It was a spiritual problem that affected everything. And watch how Jesus solved the problem of sin. In 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says these words, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. He says you should live a life trying not to sin. We should, it should matter to us to live holy and righteous lives. And if anyone sins, so when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus showed us that we could not baptize our way to heaven. We can't Lord's Supper our way to heaven. We can't give our way to heaven. We can't church attendance our way to heaven. But because He died for us, because He took our punishment, He died in our place. He took the punishment of sin and death and the grave. When I believe in Him, when I put my faith and trust in Him, this spiritual problem that I have that will lead to an eternity away from Him can all be washed away. I can be brought into the family of God. And so today I want to caution you to quit trying to make earthly changes when it's truly a spiritual issue. Churches do it all the time. Worship seems dead, let's turn the music up. Worship seems dead, let's sing different songs. Worship seems dead, let's get rid of the pastor. 
Worship seems dead. Maybe the preacher should preach in jeans. When all of that is not the issue. The Bible says we're to worship in spirit and in truth. And what's lacking is the Spirit of God is being quenched. We are grieving the Holy Spirit. I am telling you when the power of God is unleashed and the Spirit of God is freely moving in a church, God works regardless. Whether you start at 10 or 11, whether you preach in a tie or in shorts, whether you sing new songs or old songs, what we need to remember is these are all earthly fixes to a desire to have God, but not being willing to get alone with God and say, Lord, what is in my life that I am bringing with me to church that is quenching the Spirit of God? God, what am I doing as the pastor of Ten Mile? What is in my life that is wrong and disobedient that is grieving your spirit when we worship? You say, Jake, I don't agree with that. Well, wait till the end and I'll show you what I think the Bible says. Second thing I want to show you about this text this morning is when God's people embrace sin, it gives the sinful world an opening. So David has found out, Saul tried to wipe these people out. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. He brings them in and says, hey, we got to fix this. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. Don't miss this, he's pointing out, this is God's problem with these people. This is why God is doing this. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. The Bible is full. The Old Testament is full of verses about how God deals with people who shed innocent blood. And these people were not innocent in the sense of being sinless, but they were innocent in the sense that they had been promised protection. And because they had been promised it by God's people, God expected it to be honored. Therefore, in verse 3, David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, Stop right there. So what they say is, We don't want to take all Saul's possessions. And we don't want you to kill anybody for us. David's probably thinking, all right, that's a good thing. But I want you to see how careless David is with this next sentence. Look what David says. Whatever you say, I will do for you. I want you to stop this. Do you remember in the New Testament? There is a a wicked ruler. And... A young lady dances for him, and he is so enthralled by it, he promises her whatever she asks for. Whatever you ask for, other than the kingdom, you can have. She goes home and gets some ungodly influence that she wants the head of John the Baptist. And this wicked man, knowing that he had given his word, made this statement in front of all the people, ends up chopping off John the Baptist's head, and did what? Presented it on a platter. 
Be very careful when you give your word because God expects us to keep it. David had made a vow to these people. Okay, then if you don't want those things, you're not going to ruin them and you're not going to have me kill them. Whatever you ask. But if you've read ahead, you know how this unfolds. Then they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel. They just repeat how bad they were treated. They repeat that they had been lied to by the people of God. Let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul. Can you imagine what David's thinking? Oh no. How has this turned on me? But yet I've just given my word. You say, Jake, why is this in the Bible? This is what I believe. I believe God lets things like this in the Bible because one, it's true. And atheists read chapters like this and say, that's why I don't believe in God. Because look at all this mess with his people. But the same very atheist would say, well, it's not in the Bible, but yet it happened, so it's not true. But this is why I believe God allows so much heartache to be written about in Scripture. And it is this. Because no matter where you're at in your life, you have a past. Some of you think you're as white as the driven snow. That's all right, you need to be saved. But most of us recognize there's things in our past that we'd like to change. There are things in our past that we know were wrong. Maybe there are things in your life right now that you know are wrong. Maybe you know today that your marriage is just crumbling at the seams. Maybe today your kids are grown and a mess. Maybe your grandkids have come out and professed to be atheist and ungodly and wicked. And when you look at your family, when you look at your marriage, when you look at your situation, when you look at your past, all you can feel is guilt and shame and brokenness. And what God wants you to see is you are not the first and you are not the last that's been in a mess. And even though it might seem broken and painful and dysfunctional and not where God wants you to be, that God specializes in working in the midst of broken people. And that no matter where you're at or how bad it seems, that God can be found if you will seek Him. And today you might be saying, Jake, I don't even want to talk about it. Don't. Take it to the Lord. You say, Jake, I don't want anybody to know about it. Fine. Take it to the Lord. Jake, everybody knows, don't worry, God forgave it, and God forgot it if you've asked Him to. And so whatever guilt or shame or pain you're carrying, when you read something like this, you need to be reminded that we are all sinners. That we've all fallen short. And so it goes on and says, whom the Lord chose, and the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, because he had gave Jonathan his word that nothing will happen to your son. I have vowed, I have made a covenant to not harm him because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Ormani and Mephibosheth, a different one, 
the two sons of Rizpha, the daughter of Ahi, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Melanite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on a hill before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and they were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now I want you to think about this. Now, most of you can remember, some of you can't because you're so young, where you were at on 9-11. You remember, you remember where you were. I was in the basement of the old high school uh, in study hall, across from somebody, and we were talking, and I don't know, I was being dumb as usual, probably. I remember like it was yesterday, the first person that came down the stairs into the kitchen cafeteria in the old high school and said that the towers had been hit. And that's what it's doing here. It's saying this was so horrific and so altering and so shocking that you'll always remember it when it's time for the barley, that's when it happened. And what we see here is something horrible. Something dramatic. But don't forget the title of this point. Was when God's people sin, it opens the door for the world's wickedness to sneak in. Because Joshua had not sought God's direction. He brought this on the nation. Because Saul did not obey God, he brought this on the nation. And here's poor David. David's done enough damage in his own family, right? David literally is fighting battles in his own house because of what he did with Bathsheba. David brings plague to the nation of Israel because his pride in wanting to count the people. But in this time, David is just an innocent bystander that's got a mess. And friends, where you're at today in your marriage and in your relationship with other people, that might be the case. You might have been faithful in your marriage and your spouse hasn't and you are dealing with that. Maybe you've tried to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and now you're dealing with them growing up saying they don't even believe that there's a God. You might have been a faithful and good employee but yet your company laid you off anyway. You might have worked hard to save your money and, and to, to set aside like the Bible says and yet someone swindled it away from you. And those moments you look and say, why? How? What has happened? And what we see here is, though, that you need to know that in those moments, God is trying to work in your life. God is trying to reach into your situation. But what we need to remember, though, is this. How many times have we been guilty of not doing what God wanted us to do and it opened the door for more? In the book of Hebrews chapter 7, and we don't have time to read it all today, and I do not have the voice, the Bible tells us the difference between Jesus as our perfect high priest and the earthly form of the priesthood in the Old Testament. And it talks about how Jesus is perfect and how Jesus is the Son of God and that He is the perfect high priest and, and that God promised that if He would die for our sins and rise from the grave, that He would be given access that we can boldly approach. It's a wonderful set of verses. But it also points out the frailty of the human priesthood. That we are sinners. That even in the Old Testament, even the high priest was a sinner. 
Even those who worked in the temple were sinners. And what it reminds us is that there is nothing that we can do that will be perfect. There's always going to be flaws in church. There's always going to be flaws in your Sunday school class. There's always going to be struggles in your marriage. There's always going to be struggles in raising your children. Why? Because we are sinners. Because we give Satan a foothold. We give the world a foothold because we struggle with sin. But I want to show you the third and final thing today, and I hope that it will help you. So this has gone on. These men have been hanged. But the third thing I want to show you is that humility and love are honored by God. Humility and love are honored by God. Starting in verse 10. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ahi, this is the mother of two of these young men that have just been hung, took sackcloth and spread it from herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beast of the field by night. And David was told by Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. Then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul and Gilboa. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son from there, and they gathered the bones to those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son in the country of Benjamin in Zela, in the tomb of Kish his father. So they performed all that the king had commanded, and after that God heeded the prayer for the land. Now there are two schools of thought here. Some Bible commentators say that everything was made right because these deaths happened and there was an avenging of what had happened. Other people believe that it was not just that, but it was this mother's love and dedication. No matter what you think it is or I think it is, it doesn't matter. It should be looked at. But what happens is this mother loved her son so much that the Bible tells us when someone is hanged, they should be brought down from that and buried because it is wrong to leave the body up. But the Gibeonites were not children of Israel. They were going to leave these bodies up and to celebrate and to mock what was going on. But this mother's love for her children was so much that she put up a little tent and every day when the birds would come and the elements would come, she would shoo them off. Why? Because a mother's love does not stop at the grave. She was humble and she loved her sons even though this had all happened. And what happens is her humility and love is noticed not only by King David, but by God. And what happens is David goes and he gets these bodies down, he buries them with their family. Because while David couldn't stop what happened, he could honor them in their burial. I know we don't think it matters where we're buried or how we're buried, but the Bible teaches something I think totally different. And so David honored them by bringing them home, putting them to rest together as a family. And what we see is this simple truth, that while this mother had been through great hardship, and she had been through great pain, what she did made a difference. 
And today I hope that you never find yourself in a field keeping the birds away from your loved one. But what I can tell you is, what does that look like today? Mom and Dad, maybe it's the fact that you know your kids are out all night. And they are running from God and they are in places they shouldn't be. And they are doing things they shouldn't do. And all you can do is sit up throughout the night weeping and praying for God to show mercy on them. In those moments, your humility and love for them is seen by God. Maybe you can't control the diagnosis that that doctor gave, but what you can do is fast and pray and beg God for a miracle that the people that you love, your faith can make a difference in the lives of the people that you love. You say, Jake, that's not biblical. I'm glad that you think that, but I want to show you it is. In Luke chapter 5, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, Jesus is teaching in a crowded house, and there is a paralyzed man. And the Bible says these words, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judah, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So God's power had been poured out. People were being healed. Lives were being changed. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and led him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw whose faith? What does it say? Their faith. didn't say he saw the man's faith. He saw their faith. Their faith. And what he said, your sins are forgiven you. You are healed. Now it's not teaching that because of your faith, your children will be saved. Only one way to heaven. That's repenting of your sins, believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. But what you can do is your faith can bless your children. Your faith can put them in a position to hear from God and to know God. Your commitment to prayer and to sharing the gospel and to doing the things that God has asked you can be used by God to forever change the destiny of other people. Just like this mom through her through her love and, and humbleness and brokenness, God and the King noticed. And when you and I will be humble and broken and willing to hear from God, we can be used to make a difference. Now, if you're reading this story like I am, I've read it dozens of times. Dozens and dozens of times. And thought, Lord, what is the real message for us today? How does it apply to us? And this is what I believe. In the book of James chapter 5, I'm almost done. Just please hang with me for another minute. Not one minute literally, but just shortly, all right? In James chapter 5, the Bible says these words. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now we'll stop right there. It's not the church's job to go on television and try to sell snake oil, all right? 
It's not our job. But if you're sick and you're needing a miraculous touch, God gives us a blueprint for how that happens. Now, it doesn't mean that God always heals, but it says this is that doorway. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You see, if you and I are going to be people who have access to the power of God, if we're going to be people who pray and see the power of God fall, we have to recognize two things. One, we have to agree with God. We have to agree with what He is going to do and work. But two, we have to be willing to ask. We have to be willing to do the things that God has said are required of us. You say, well, Jake, I disagree with that. I just think God does what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, and it doesn't matter. Well, I would disagree with you. In Psalm 66, Psalm 66 is all about the power of God and how God hears prayer and answers prayer and delivers His people. But in verse 18, it says this, the writer of Psalms, the person who is praying, says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I'm not willing to repent of my sin as an individual, if I'm not willing to get along with God and say, Lord, I know I've not been a good husband. Lord, I I've know I've not been the father I should be. Lord, I, I know I'm struggling with this sin. He's saying God will not hear. But it goes on in verse 19 and says, But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. He says, I was willing to get along with God and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, search me. Lord, remove this stuff from my life. And here I am thanking You for what You've done for me, Lord. I'm asking You to work in my life. I'm asking You to work in my marriage. I'm asking Your blessings in my life. He says, and I know that God will because He's faithful and He's just. And He forgives us if we ask Him. You say, well, Jake, I'm still not sure. Well, I would love to give you one more and I'll close. And this one really hits right between the eyes, if you want to be honest. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the Bible talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. It's one of the most hated chapters in the New Testament. Because it teaches submission and love and mercy. And let's be honest, it is hated by most people. But in talking to husbands, listen to what Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Husbands, likewise. That means treat them the same way I just told you to be treating them, to treat you. Dwell with them with understanding. Giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. It doesn't mean less value, it means more breakable. And as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, if you want to pray for God to work in the life of your wife, you need to start living it honestly at home. Wives, if you want your prayers to begin to impact your husband, then you need to be living your faith at home.
Parents, if you want your prayers to impact your children's faith, you need to be living it at home. You say, Jake, there's no proof of that in the Bible. I'm glad you have great questions today. The Bible literally tells a believing wife who has a believing husband that if she can endure it to stay because her godly influence in the home will impact the children and that entire family. That's what it says. And so this idea that we are personally responsible for our response to God is time for God's people to embrace. Does that mean everything that God does depends on us? No. He is God. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He can do what He wants when He wants. But His Word is full of what happens when we disobey Him. But it is full of the blessings that come when we will humble ourselves and listen to Him. That's why the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Quench not the Holy Spirit. Don't hinder what God is doing. And so today, my challenge to you is, if you really want to see God begin to break the shackles of your marriage, to begin to break the shackles of the hold that Satan has on your children, to begin to break the shackles that you can place on your your finances and on your life, it is to get alone with God and say, Lord, today I'm making no more excuses. I'm not going to blame it on the preacher. I'm not going to blame it on my parents. I'm not going to blame it on my spouse. I'm not going to blame it on my children. God, here I am today. I know I'm sinful. I know I'm broken. I know I'm a mess. But God, I know that you love me. And I know that you died for me. And I know that you've got a plan and a purpose for my life. And God, all I want from you is to be used. God, I want to see your power in my life to set my marriage free, my children free, my home free. God, I just want a little bit of you and what you can do in my life. And friends, when that happens, everything changes. Everything can change. You say, Jake, you really believe that? You bet I can. You know how I know that? Because I've seen God do it. I've seen God change lives that people would have given up on. I've seen God give marriages a second chance that the world would say couldn't. I've seen people who were prideful and arrogant humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and be used by God. But I've also seen people sit on church pews and leave the same way they came for a decade. Same stubbornness, stiff-necked. But friends, today that does not have to be you. You can experience God showing you your mistakes and setting you free from them. If you would stand with me, we're going to pray. I'm not going to come down today just because, like I said, I do not want to give you anything. But these altars are open and I hope that you will use them to pray for yourself and for your family and truly experience the freedom that God can make. Pray with me. Father, today we ask that you would set us free. God, that we would stop playing games. Lord, that we'd stop making excuses. God, I know that you love us, that you've died for us, that you have shown us you're merciful and gracious. But God, today I believe you want to do more. God, don't make us go through a drought before we seek You. God, don't make us go through a death before we seek You. Lord, don't let us watch everything fall apart before we seek You. 
Lord, help today show us that we can find your forgiveness and love and mercy today, Lord. Today is the day of salvation. And Father, to this congregation, Lord, I just pray that you'd use them, you'd help them, you'd do whatever is necessary today, Lord, to show them that you love them and you have a purpose and plan for them. Father, for that person that's here today that's lost, Lord, I pray that you'd convict them, draw them, give them the humility and the courage to step out and trust you as the Lord and Savior of their life. Father, as always, let today be about you and all that you can do and the praise that you deserve. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.